Hello and welcome to episode 21 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week, again, we are absolutely delighted to welcome a very special guest onto the show. This week, we're delighted to welcome Evelyn Hart onto the show. Evelyn is a tutor at Strathclyde University who has a strong interest in building teacher confidence and teaching primary PE. She is also an advocate of pupil voice and the benefits this can bring to educational outcomes for young people. Evelyn believes in creating meaningful partnerships in education, which I'm sure we will touch on later in the show. We are both really looking forward to this one. Therefore, I think it's about time we welcome Evelyn onto the show. Right, Evelyn, welcome to the show. How's things? How's the summer going? I mean, summer's been quite strange, hasn't it? You know, it seems to be galloping away. You do nothing, but then you're aware that this is my summer holidays, and if I don't get out and about and do something, then I'm really going to regret it come the dark winter nights when we're, we really are sort of cooped up. Um, uh-huh. But no, it's been, it's been fine. It's amazing how quickly you just get used to this life. Um, yeah. I had a wee week away in St Andrews, so that was good. So, um, But yeah, just plodding on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the weather's not too great, is it? For getting outdoors, I know, I know. especially today. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think but, we got the best. Uh, we got the best of the weather when we were in the, the main part of the lockdown. We're still at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-uh. <laughs> Working from home, anyway, for us. Yeah. So, right, diving right, diving right into it, then, Evelyn, uh, can you tell us and the listeners some background information on your career to date? Okay, well, I graduated from Jordan Hill in 1984 which is probably long before you two boys were even born. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, ten years. <laughs> ten years? <laughs> I'm right, I have, I have two children older than you then. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that officially confirms that I'm ancient. Um, and I yeah, that. Uh, do you know, I will um, fully admit that I, I actually found Jordan Hill really challenging, not... Um, not academically or in terms of performance and placement or anything. I just found the whole regime very stressful. So, you know, ironically ending up working back at the School of Education, I think it probably puts me in quite a good place to understand the stresses and anxieties of student teachers because, you know, even as somebody who it was a long time ago, it's still very vivid for me, the memories of the stress that I felt when I was a trainee teacher. And at first, when I graduated, I went out in August 1984 to Easterhouse to a school called Blair Tumuk, which is now shut down and is part of the new Oakwood campus. Um, and I had four years out there. I actually started before I'd even had my 21st birthday. You know, I, had, I was in charge of my own class. And I look back now and I think, gosh, I was a child, you know. Um, but I worked with some really inspirational teachers out there. Um, in the days long before... The, the term CLPL existed or, you know, there was a professional review and development process, even before there was a time allocated to sort of extra studies or, you know, any sort of staff meetings or anything. I, I worked with some really inspirational teachers who were keen to be role models, keen to coach you, keen to mentor and, and support teacher learning. And in fact, lots of them went on to be senior leaders in other schools later on. So I feel I had a really good grounding in those first four years with some people who really took me under their wing. Um, And 
set me up for the rest of my career. And then I moved on to Parkview Primary, which is in the Summerston area of Mary Hill. And I stayed there for 27 years. Um, and, you know, lots of people criticise that. And I'm, I'm not saying it's for everybody to stay that long in the one school, particularly not if you're wanting to go up the promotion ladder. But um, I just loved being a class teacher and I loved being part of a, a, a school where I really got to know the children, I got to know the families. Um, if I'd stayed much longer, you know, I'd taught the children, I'd taught their children. And I reckon probably if I'd hung around another five years, I'd have been teaching the grandchildren now. Um, and I can honestly say I was as much a part of the community at Parkview as I was my own home community. Um, and I also worked with some really great teachers there as well. We had a, a, quite a lot of teachers who actually worked in the school for quite a long time. And that meant we, had, we collaborated well and, and worked together on new ideas and new approaches. And it was a very safe environment to try things out and see if they worked and, and have colleagues to bounce ideas off of. Um, and you know, part of you will always be a huge part actually of who I am as a teacher and who I am as a person. And, you know, even up in St Andrews uh, last week on holiday, I was standing in the queue for the chip shop at the tail end and my husband nipped along to Tesco's um, to get some stuff. And the next minute he hears from a, a voice from across, across the street, Mr Hart! And it was, you know, a family where I taught the three daughters, two of whom are now in their 40s, you know, and their mother was with them, their children were with them, and he's shouting to them, Evelyn's along in the queue at the tail end, and they came along to see me, you know, and these are memories and relationships that you've built up that you'll never forget, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it was a brilliant 27 years. And then in 2015, I applied for a seconded post at the university um, to teach in the primary education courses. And I can genuinely say that there was nobody more surprised <laughs> or delighted than me when I got the job. Um, you know, after applying, you've all the self-doubt that I'm a too old, I'm a too long in the one job, you know, they think I've not got enough to bring when I stayed in the one school too long. Um, and I wasn't a um, primary PE specialist. Um, I, was a I was a PE, a primary teacher rather. Um, but since day one, I've loved it at the university as well. You know, everything that I loved in my school career in terms of working collaboratively with my colleagues, um, I, I love there. I, I work with great colleagues there that I'm learning so much from. Even now, you know, every day I'm learning from people. And actually, the, the same things that I loved about teaching in school in terms of building relationships and, and just the energy that, you mm -hmm. have whenever you walk into any school and even now when I walk in to university there's a phrase I use where it's like the walls bounce you know the minute you step in the door you can just feel that energy that's not me saying things are chaotic that's just me saying things are alive um, and it's just a great place to be um, and I teach on both the BA and the PGDE courses teach a lot in the professional practice modules um, I deliver core PE to the undergrads and also to the postgrads. But I've also had, you know, great variety of experiences. Of, you know, I, I was able to work in a primary secondary transition project with a cluster school in Clickmanninshire. At the moment, 
just before lockdown, I've been working with a group of classroom assistants in a training programme as well. So there's huge variety and, and bringing to that as well that I spend some of my time on campus. I spend loads of time still out in schools. So I'm, I'm still on a weekly basis getting into schools, chatting with teachers, learning about new things that are going on in schools all the time as well. And it's mm. just a really exciting job to have. It sounds like you've got the kind of best of both worlds then. You're still in school and you're still obviously yeah. in higher education. Yeah. But Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose I, I very much still view myself as a teacher. That's good. You'll never lose that by the sounds of it. Um, mm. I, I worked in uh, Crosshouse Primary and East Kilbrides for a year teaching PE as, as a specialist and you were speaking about the, the importance of collaboration and having a, a good team of staff who are willing to share ideas and test mm -hmm. test different models and share mm -hmm. uh, practice. I, I felt as if I missed that because I was the only PE teacher in there. Yeah. Um, not, not to say that the primary teachers weren't open and uh, transparent with their ideas, but I felt as if I missed that sort of camaraderie yeah, and... Which is a shame because I suppose I, I've never really thought about that. Um, you know, we, I, ha, I have had very limited input in terms of um, somebody coming to deliver PE to my children in school. I've had lots of input from PE specialists on things that I could do, but I suppose we've never really thought about it the other way. When the PE specialist was coming into school, what could they learn from the primary teachers to enhance mm -hmm. their practice as well? Yeah, because some of the primary teachers I, I worked alongside or who were in the school were fantastic at assessment and planning. I mean, the planning yeah. was meticulous, much, much more meticulous than secondary school, for example. Secondary teachers always say that. <laughs> and then the assessment, I mean, it's more rigorous, I would say, throughout yeah. the year. Like termly planning, then you have your termly review with the head teacher as well. Mm -hmm. Because we, we only have one review at the end of the year with yeah. our PT. I but also I think Perhaps one of the things that primary are slightly better at in terms of health and well-being is the whole responsibility for all. Um, I think when I talk to my secondary colleagues, they say that can be quite a hard battle for the people who work in the health and well-being faculty to get the rest of their staff to embrace that that's everybody's responsibility, whereas primary, it's much easier to make it everybody's responsibility. Yeah. So as a primary teacher then for, for 31 years, Mm -hmm. I know you worked for Park in Park uh, Parkview, was it, for 27 years? Mm -hmm. So can you share with us um, how you experienced PE mm -hmm. and what subject, uh, what the subject could offer the young people in your experience? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so as, as I say, I'm not a primary PE specialist. Um, I was a primary PE, I was a primary teacher who was always very enthusiastic about PE and, and in general physical activity and school sport as well. Um, and then in my final year before I went to the uni, I taught whole school PE to cover non-class contact time. And um, that actually, it was, it was quite a revelation for me that year because it's the first time that I only, I mean, I did teach some other things, but you know, the majority of my timetable was PE. And it actually gave you the luxury of being able to focus only on one subject. Um, which you don't often get. Um, and I know there's a lot of debate around the specialist teacher versus the generalist teacher. Um, I, th I think it is what it is. You know, I, I've been, in total, I've been a teacher for 36 years. And I can honestly say that in that time, in terms of some, a specialist coming to deliver PE to my class, 
I've probably had three six-week blocks in 36 years or 31 years in, in school. Um, so I, I think given the current financial challenges, that's unlikely to change. Um, and so we need to look at how we can help and support primary teachers deliver quality PE because, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you some impressions that probably you both are too young to remember, but um, certainly when I talk about PE biography, biography with the students at uni, there are plenty of them recognise the sort of scenarios that I say is the poor quality PE. And things that I can remember and I've observed in, in schools that I've worked in, you know, so the teacher goes to PE wearing her dress, her high heels, and you only know you're going to PE because she's got a whistle around her neck. Now that's how we've transitioned from maths to, to PE. Um, and um, PE lessons, you know, when you ask some students what was primary PE like at school, they say things like, well, we played bench ball from you know, all, all autumn and winter, and we played rounders in the spring and summer, and, and that literally was it. Um, and and they, they often speak fondly of it, but mm -hmm. that's all they did. Um, and then I also think that over the years there were lots of problems around um, PE being cancelled at the last minute because it wasn't held with the same regard as other subjects. So, you know, I'm thinking back to the days of the old national tests when, you know, we'll give up your PE time and spend a wee bit more time in maths and literacy to bring up our, our national test results. Or, you know, the, um, there's a speaker coming today and the hall's in use, so all PE's cancelled. And then the old one that even you guys will have experienced, I'm sure, of if another person talks, we're not going to PE. And, you know, that's it. The whole class misses out in PE because somebody talked. Um, I, feel like and, was, I feel like I can remember that clear as day. From primary school as well. It's probably because of you. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> Were you ever the boy doing the talking? <laughs> no, I, I, I love my PE. My, my, uh, my mouth was closed firmly. I know. <laughs> and I hate, I hate to burst your bubble, guys, but I can bet there were teachers who deliberately goaded somebody to talk so that they could then say, that's it, that's it, we're not going to pee. And, you know, there's no other subject that you would have been allowed to get away with that. You know, nobody says, that. if somebody else talks, then we're not going to be doing our topic today or we're not going to be doing our reading no. today. Um, mm -hmm. So, but certainly over the years, I've seen a huge improvement. Um, as I said before, I think there are challenges, um, you know, physical challenges. Delivering two hours of quality PE in primary schools, if you've got 14 classes, but your gym hall is also your dinner school, it's also your assembly hall, it's also the, the biggest space that you can do drama and things like that. It is actually a really intricate jigsaw to um, timetable that so that everybody gets two hours of PE. Um, and you know, so although people do criticise primary schools for approaches to PE, I, th I think we need to be realistic about some of the challenges that, that they, they face, but I, I think they're trying really, really hard to overcome those. And I, I've certainly now seen a huge variety of um, topics covered within PE. You know, I think we definitely have now moved on from the bench ball and rounders, and there's a, a far wider 
um, amount of sports and activities are covered. Um, I think definitely primary teachers are better at the health and wellbeing is responsibility for all. I also think they're now seeing better opportunities to link uh, learning that goes on in the classroom to learning that goes on in PE. You know, so just small details like um, planning your information handling in maths for when you're doing a topic in PE that would suit being able to gather data and use that to create graphs and pie charts in the classroom or when you're doing a particular um, topic in PE where you can then do report writing and literacy for example. So I, I think that there is a much more cohesive approach now to PE in the primary school and I think you know a lot of that is down not to PE specialists coming and delivering PE because I still think most schools don't really get that. Um, there just isn't the funding for it. But what I certainly found in Glasgow, I'm going to give a huge shout out here to the PILO team at Glasgow City Council. Um, in particular for me, Johnny Penman, Andrea yep. Crawford, um, and Andrea Robertson. Um, and I mean, the year that I was out of school, out of class doing whole school PE, um, I think I attended every single twilight session that the Glasgow City Council PILO team organised. Um, you know, I think they began to think I was their stalker, but they, they delivered these sessions for teachers in a way that was very accessible, that was took huge account of the varying levels of confidence, but also fitness within the group that were turning up at night. You know, they could read a room really well and think, right, how am I going to pitch that? And I, I certainly learned lots from them. They're so passionate about building up um, the skill set within teachers across all primary schools. Um, and they're also developing brilliant resources that are really practitioner friendly. Um, and accessing their courses and having them talk these things through, I think has hugely improved the delivery of PE, whether it's by generalist, although I'm not overly keen on that word, I would say that primary teachers are specialists of the general rather than just generalists. Um, but, you know, I think that there's certainly a wealth of knowledge there and a, an access for all primary teachers to be able to go and learn far more about delivering quality PE. And I definitely think that they should do that. Um, also, I think probably if we're looking at the quality of primary PE, we need to look at the fact that in initial teacher education, um, the amount of PE time is very limited. You know, the, the PGDE currently, in the, in the five years that I've been there, if I told you that the students got two hours in their whole year of PE, that was it. Um, and in up until the new review of the BA course, the undergrad, the four-year undergrad course, it was possible to graduate with a BA in primary education and never attend a practical PE class. Um, but certainly myself and my other PE colleagues at the uni, you know, when both courses were up for review, we've put a lot of pressure on around that. And the new BA, there will, you'll now be able to have a health and wellbeing pathway where you can um, you know, explore health and well-being in general, 
there will be core PE for everybody and they'll all need to come and do um, you know, a, a whole semester module in PE and they'll also have the option to do a, a specialisation in perhaps sport education or dance and in the PGDE course, um, John Miller and I in the review of that course, we have managed to increase the hours of PE provision from two to six. Now six yeah. might not seem a lot, but the PGTE course is a very condensed course anyway, and, yeah. and actually having hours for anything is, is difficult. So six hours of PE from two is a huge victory. Um, you know, so hopefully things are on the up for primary PE. Yeah, I think um, that's really important that we, we have the, the time and in, in, initial teacher education mm -hmm. so you kind of sow the seed early with the mm -hmm. participants and the students in the course so that, mm -hmm. you know, it's... They're setting their stall out rather than rather than hardly getting any pee, and then by the time they come to get into school, they've not really had that experience. Because yeah. ultimately, ultimately, I found it was just down to teacher confidence in the primary. Yeah. They didn't have the skill set, but uh -huh. by by me being there, I didn't want to de-skill the teachers as well. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to strike the balance between upskilling the, the teachers who are there, which is really really important, and having a specialist in. Yeah. Um, which is also beneficial for the kids, or even like the setting setting the PE teachers going down. Mm -hmm. On a, cause another school I'm in just now, we go down on a kind of timetable. So every mm -hmm. Tuesday morning, a teacher will go to a local primary, and then a Friday afternoon, another teacher will go, mm -hmm. and we just rotate it. So they're still seeing the primary, the secondary teacher. Uh -huh. And can can I ask, when you do that, does the does the class teacher remain in the lesson yeah. with you to observe? Yeah, because yes, sometimes they, they, that gets used again to cover non-class contact yeah, time, uh -huh. and then you lose out on that opportunity to work yeah. collaboratively and to learn. But you're definitely right, it's most definitely teacher confidence and, and that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. Um, and much as to begin with, I, I thought, oh gosh, you know, what will people think? I'm not a PE specialist. I do think it has helped because I do understand the challenges in the, the demographic of the primary teacher um, and, and the fact that there are confidence issues most definitely and people worried about their own level of fitness you know they think if I can't do it then I, I can't expect to teach the children to do it and you know just showing them ways to get around that you know um, mm -hmm. really simple ways and, and also getting them to understand that the good pedagogy that you have in the classroom you can transfer to, to PE so mm -hmm. easily I would also say though when you look at um, PE biographies of, of you know the background of people who come to us there can also be some challenges around the people who have you know a, a very high quality sport experience background you know so they've done a sports degree and they've got all their coaching badges with the SFA but they tend to default to um, wanting to sort of create the next Olympic athlete or the yeah. next professional footballer um, and perhaps you know, they need a bit of tailoring to what primary PE should look like as well. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's important not to, you don't, like, they don't need to be an expert for a specific sport. It's being mm -hmm. able to use that sport at whatever level the class is at to deliver, mm -hmm. to teach those benchmarks. So you don't need to be an expert at football to teach effective communication. You can just set up like a, it doesn't even need to be a sporting activity. It's just trying to be creative with games and the equipment that you've got available in the school. Um, and like you say, if those resources and stuff are available, if that collaboration's there, and if you're getting those ideas, then a primary class, uh, a primary school teacher is more than capable of going in and doing that. 
Again, it's just about the confidence with activities like gymnastics where there's um, safety concerns. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. in my yeah. experience, speaking to primary teachers, that's mm -hmm. where the, the kind of biggest issue has been. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I have is on the day that the students arrive for their PE practical, you know, the amount of people that sidle up to me at the start and say, eh, just to let you know I'm carrying an injury. And then, you know, I'll, I'll look an hour later and they're, they're running around the gym and they're skipping and they're doing all the things I'm asking them to do because I try to have a, as inclusive approach as I can. And, yeah. and I say very early on, I'm not going to ask you to do a forward roll. Please calm down. Go and, go and put your stuff at the side. Come and join us. Do what you're comfortable with. Sit out and watch with things that you're uncomfortable with. And before I know it, they're, they're joining in with all of it. Mm. Um, you know, and even just small things like saying to them you know most PE halls because in primary schools they're also the assembly hall you've now got a projector and screen you know so make use of those YouTube video clips make you know yeah. use a stimulus of a, an athlete at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games to get that talking going it doesn't need to be you that demonstrates everything I, I've even done that before. Use a laptop mm -hmm. to show them a, a model example of like a high jump or something. Do you know, yeah. doesn't need to mm -hmm. doesn't need to always come from the teacher. Mm -hmm. yep. So I think I think it's important to use that. So Evelyn, a big part of your remit in the primary was community links and citizenship. Could you tell us a little bit more about this and kind of what success you had, or if you can pick one example of a successful project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as I said before, I'd worked in the one school for a long, long time, so. I knew the families, I knew the children really well. <clears throat> One of my biggest frustrations when I went to the uni was I didn't know people's names. You know, students, you only see them for an hour or so, whereas I'd worked in a, a tiny wee school, well, not tiny, 200 pupils, and I literally knew everybody's name and I knew most of the families. But also the knock-on of that, staying in that community for so long, you also knew the local councillors, the local minister, the... The, the people who ran the housing association, all that sort of thing. Um, and round about, I also had the benefit that I worked part-time. Um, so round about the time that citizenship and pupil voice became much of a focus um, in Scottish education, my head teacher asked me if she could pay me to work additional days and take on that remit. So the first thing I did was I set up a, um, a vertical um, set up within the school where the children joined families of P1 to 7 and met with those families once a week. So a mixed age group where the P7 was a captain and the P6 was a vice captain and they had their own sort of small family within the school. And, and we used that as a way of cascading out anything that was to do with pupil voice, with uh, citizenship within our own school, but also within our local community and, and even sort of global initiatives. Um, we used it to consider our school values. We used it for eco-school work. We used it for charity work. Um, but also we had a period within five years where we amalgamated twice with other schools. Um, and I don't, you know, you've possibly not been involved in that, but that's quite a difficult thing to do to bring school communities together mm -hmm. and to this day I still laugh actually despite all the sort of parental angst and community angst around amalgamations of schools 
it's like everything the kids do it better than the adults do. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the, the vertical approach that we used a family group and gave us chances to build um, relationships when we had to amalgamate these eventually three school communities together. Yeah. Um, I also think the fact that I was always um, quite heavily involved in school sport meant that I knew lots of people in the community as well. So I ran the football team, the athletics team, the cross-country team, and over the years sort of knew all of the other people who did a similar role in their school for the Clevedon Cluster. Um, And, you know, so there were initiatives that we took up with with things like, you know, when I first ran the school football team, it was about leagues and cups and and glory. Um, And, you know, the... I'm not saying that we didn't enjoy that, but then we moved that on laterally to a far more of community sport approach where um, all of the Maryhill Clevedon cluster schools, we would go down to John Paul Academy on a Monday night and it was literally just turn up, play, have fun. Um, a chance for the kids to build relationships within yep. the community, to get to know each other before they were moving on. You know, it was a sort of system where we went round intending to play sevens, but if there was a night that I had 10 kids that wanted to come and another school had only six, we would just swap strips around and, and yep. mix the kids up. And, you know, it, it, it was a really nice way to build relationships. Um, I also think in terms of community work, I worked really closely. My active schools coordinator at that point was Stephen Gilliland. And he again spent a lot of time in the Clevedon Cluster. And we looked at a notional physical activity and, and developing a positive attitude to LPA and, and how we could do that through PE. Um, and a lot of what you do in PE unless you make it relevant to how you're going to be able to continue that for the rest of your life, it's, it's a blocker. Mm-hmm. It's a unit of work, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you can, your active schools coordinator can find you a sports specific coach and bring the kids in and introduce them to that for six weeks and, and, and give them some of this sort of background understanding of the skills and the rules of the game and all that. But if you don't get the chance to go out and use that in real life, it's probably of little value. So we began to look at things like, um, there was an excellent gymnastics club in Maryhill, and you know, with all this sort of really top quality equipment. Yeah, and yeah. so when I did gymnastics, we also had a couple of sessions where we went up there, the kids met the coaches, um, the kids got to use some of those, you know, the big inflatable mats and things, mm-hmm. um, and they got to see some of the gymnasts there who had taken their skills to a new level. We had good links with Gascube Harriers and we would have them come down and then um, run some coaching sessions after school. Um, one of the nicest things we ever did was um, the, the local bowling club, you know, and, and my in-laws played bowls for years. So, you know, I, I had been around bowling clubs and, you know, when I think back even 10, 15 years ago, the rules around how you placed the mat on the edge of the green and the shoes you had to wear and the dress code. And at first, when we tried to make those links, I thought, oh, you know, this isn't going to go down well. You know, they're very protective of their their green and everything. But, you know, the joy of taking 20 kids around and then watching pensioners in Mary Hill, like Jack and Victor, 
sitting with his <laughs> kids, showing them how to, you know, you know, how to throw the ball, explaining the rules, and yeah. and maybe they've loved that as well. Oh, they yeah. love the, 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 I think, I think the, because it's balls as well, like because. Mm -hmm. You're able to teach respect through that and tolerance, mm -hmm. and you know it's mm -hmm. not like a football field you can run about crazy. So it's teaching value, values that they can take away. From yeah, uh -huh. and and just that the conversations that went on, um, you know, lots of kids don't have their grandparents near to hand, and um, you know, or, or maybe have lost contact with grandparents, and just that intergenerational dialogue going on. And I honestly think as well, you know. There had been times when the bowling club had been vandalised, when kids had been in at the weekend taking their mountain bikes across the green and stuff like that. I think taking kids into a private club and letting them see what went on behind closed doors and the, the love that the people had for that wee community club, I honestly, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just a bit too Pollyanna, but um, you know, I honestly believe that the, it would have made kids think twice at beginning and vandalising because they now knew the people and they had a respect. And you know, we played the game of bowls, but then they would go into the clubhouse for a wee can of coke afterwards and yeah. um, a wee chat with people. So it it was about it was as much about the rules and the skills required for playing a target game as it was about the community that you can create yeah. as well. But in terms of what perhaps was my, my most successful community um, story, we got a new head teacher just a couple of years before I moved to the uni. We got a new head teacher and she came in very early on and said, oh, Evelyn, I, I think you should do this. I think you would really like this. And it was a, a competition to make a movie or a documentary. And you know that way you've got a new head teacher and you're like, well, I can't say no. You know, you've got to look like a real eager beaver. And I was like, oh, right, yeah, fine, yeah, of course I'll do that, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got loads of ideas for that. Um, but a bit like making a podcast, you know, I had no idea how you made a movie. I knew nothing about filming, editing. Went in a course for a, a couple of sessions about filming and editing, Um actually probably left none the wiser, wrote loads of notes, but you know, still didn't know what I didn't know about filming and editing. But what I did do is part of our family grouping thing that I mentioned earlier, the, vert the vertical um, sort of groups of children, we organized a harvest collection, um, as we always did anyway every year, um, with the local church, but the local church had become very involved with other churches within the Mary Hill area in setting up a food bank. And so we made a documentary that um, followed the journey from donations to the food bank to how the food then made it to the clients who used the food bank. Um, and it was a five minute documentary um, following the work that the children did, that community members did in setting up the food bank, how the food bank rotated around the Mary Hill area, how it made sure that you know people got access to it. And somehow or other, I mean, more luck than knowledge, I managed to edit the filming that I had down to a five-minute documentary, which went on to win the Glasgow City Council um, Best Documentary category. Uh, category in the Determined wow. to Succeed competition 
and they also won um, the Church of Scotland Stevenson Prize for Excellence in Religious Education. So we had uh, an award ceremony at the GFT for the Glasgow City Council competition, but even more excitingly, we only six of them though, but they got a day out to Edinburgh and went to collect the cheque at the General Assembly. Um, you know, and you know, these kids were just blown away and so confident to just walk up onto the stage at the General Assembly and say a few words about the, the documentary was screened at the, the General Assembly. Um, so that, that probably was our most high profile local community success. But it was certainly, a, it was a wonderful community to work in. Um, and it's still somewhere that I feel very much at home. Yeah. I think it's amazing to see um, how much you've done over the times, the, the years that you were at the school, but in particular the amount that sport can play a part in bringing like the, to achieving the citizenship and the, the community links. I think it's a, an excellent tool to do that, like what you were saying, bringing the kids together from different schools and playing football so they knew each other prior to going up to high school. And I think it's a, um, I think it's very important that we can use it in that way as well. So moving on yeah, to yeah, your... well, um, well done in the document. Well done in the, the documentary idea. That was a great idea from the, the head teacher there. That was that was brilliant. I've never heard of that before. That's that's really good. But it was a bit better than the time we tried. We tried to create a documentary, Lewis, didn't we? We tried to back a couple of years back. We tried to climb the three peaks. See the three oh. peaks in the UK. So we tried to do it like running between the peaks as well, like over a week. So it was the, the the documentary title was Three Peaks, Two Men, One Week. Uh -huh. So that was, we only got to the end of the first day and we ended up injuring ourselves. So I had injured my, my knee and Lewis had injured his Achilles. So we didn't have much editing to do in terms of filming, we only had one day of it. Listen, <laughs> we I, did, we, I did 10 miles, 10 miles of the Fife coastal path last week, but it just happened to be the bit that's you've got to go up and down a lot of the coves and over the rocks. My knees are killing me. I, I, I'm like, out, coming down the way. I went out running the other day and had to come back and I've, I've had to say to myself, no, I need to be sensible and maybe take a week off before yeah, I come back. Oh, knees are agony. Uh-huh. But, um, and I see the two, you did the West Highland Way as well in sort of right, some of ultra time. Yeah, yeah, that was three days. Uh, uh, I lived right beside the West Highland Way. Three days. Oh. Yeah, that was... yeah, I'm just up from Mogai, so... Right, okay. I'm regularly down there at that wee plinth offering to take photos for people that are at the start. It, it might have been you that took, took our group's photo the last time. Oh. <laughs> we'll, give you a, we'll give you a shout if you try it again. <laughs> right, so Evelyn, moving on to your role at the university. It, that was kind of on developing professional practice within the PGDE primary course. How important do you think it is for teachers to maintain professional learning through times like this? And why do you believe this is so important for the profession? I think it's hugely important that people continue to develop throughout their whole career. Um, you know, as I say, even going back to my very early days before career long professional learning had even been discussed, I learned from people who showed me that you've got to be running all the time. You've got to be running to keep up, to be refreshing your own practice. Um, and we, we stress that very much to our students. Um, you know, our undergrads have their own CPD society and they lead that and they come up with suggestions and, and they have a committee who organise 
events that they would, you know, like to, to go, you know, so uh, this year in particular, sign language um, has been something that they've been very keen to work on. Um, they also have had quite a few speakers in about care experience children. Um, you know, so they drive that. We also are very keen that students keep their own records of their own learning. So when they're out in placement, we encourage them to engage with all collegiate activity after school and service days and to make notes about what they're learning and how that would impact, not perhaps just on that placement, but an interest that it might trigger that they want to take forward. Um, you know, there are things like this, you know, this year in part to address the fact that the this was the last year that the PGDE only had two hours of PE. Um, myself and John Miller, um, you know, I, I've learned lots at the university from people in the PE world as well. You know, when, when I went to the university at first, I was working with Cara Lamb, so she was teaching me about sport education. Um, then when John Miller came along, he probably very much encouraged me to be braver and think more like a PE teacher and encouraged me to join SAP PE. So I've been very honest with the students about my own PE journey and how I, there's still so much I've got to learn, but you've got to go and seek out who you're going to learn that from. Um, and so when I joined SAP PE, that was a wee bit like entering Diagon Alley. You know, I, the first time that I went to the SAP PE conference, I literally sat frozen and looked around, you know, it, it was, it was, it was like Diagon Alley. I thought I've, I've sort of entered a new world here that these uber confident PE people that are all jumping around and, and coming up with great ideas for CPD. And I went back and I shared that with the students. And, you know, I think if you went back and looked over the last three years, the amount of Strathclyde primary students who've joined SAP PE as student members, because I've said, you're going to need to get out there, you're going to need to find good quality CPD and engage with it. Um, so back in January, we actually held a um, twilight session and 75 students turned up. And it was myself, John, Johnny Penman, Cameron Stewart, um, Chris Crookston and Fiona Bruce. And we ran um, three workshops we doubled up in pairs and we ran three workshops and the students rotated around that and and they were you know really really keen um 75 to turn up on at four o'clock on a, a cold wet january night to learn more about pe when they also had a lot of other academic um sort of deadlines coming up i, I was really impressed but i, I have I, been... for, i think i think that really emphasizes the the motivation for them to learn like, mm -hmm. it's, not as if it's, it's not a lack of trying. I think they're really keen and, and the primary teachers want to, to know yeah. more. So mm -hmm. that says a lot about their, mm -hmm. their motivation to, yeah. to pick up skills and to improve uh -huh. their skill set. They are, and uh, see, to be fair as well, I think a lot of, we have to remember with the PGDE students especially, a lot of them are coming from other careers. You know, so mm -hmm. they know mm -hmm. that they have transferable skills, but they know they spent a lot of time in a previous job learning those skills and that they're going to need to learn more to adapt to their new career. Yeah. Um, but I've also, I mean, you know, you're talking about particularly in these times, I've been hugely impressed at the amount of um, engagement the students have had in these lockdown months. 
you know, they are constantly on Twitter sharing. I found this course online I've been doing, I would highly recommend it. They've all been doing their Apple Educator, they've all been doing their Microsoft badges, um, you know, and I, I, I can genuinely say that they appear to be doing it in a supportive way. They're not doing it in a show off, look what I've done when I'm in lockdown, you know, as well as baking my banana bread and mm. doing the couch to 5K and doing my, um, you know, my yoga class as well. It, it, it's, it's more been in a, an honest, um, reflective way where they're, they're, ex, they're quite honest about their anxieties about the time that they've had away from school because placement was, you know, terminated. And mm -hmm. instead of it being the normal sort of three months build up to going back to school, they'll have had five months build up and the anxiety's rising with that. So they've created a very supportive community of, you know, I found this course and I think you would really like it and I can highly recommend this. So, yeah, I honestly think that as a profession, teachers are far um, better now at wanting to learn and knowing the importance of learning. Um, and, and I, you know, as somebody who's been doing this job a long time, you can never stop learning, you know. Mm -hmm. I think um, during the lockdown, it's been such a big transition for, well, in my opinion, because we've had to transition quickly. I, I had no experience prior to going into lockdown about Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams or anything. I've just never used it. I've just never, um, our school didn't use it. And then we've managed to get all our students onto Microsoft Teams. So that's been a big learning curve for me. So I've learned a lot about that, which is going to then help me going back. And then using Twitter as well to find out different ways to make your powerpoints and stuff like that just that mm -hmm. bit more interactive especially yeah. when you're trying to teach PE through a laptop it's just trying yeah. to get bring, bring them to life a bit more and it's it's been so important during, during lockdown to, to develop that skill set. I think it's just really important to be honest you know like I hadn't heard the word zoom on the 16th of March I didn't know what zoom was and on mm -hmm. the 17th of March again a bit like falling into Diagon Alley or a bit like Alice down the rabbit hole I was in a meeting you know, and you've just got to be honest and say, I don't really know how I got here. I clicked this link and I don't quite understand it all. I think perhaps one of the most challenging things in the last few months has been that you're trying to learn something while you're also incredibly busy, just fighting yeah. fires. Um, mm -hmm. And that's probably my biggest need at the moment is to get further ahead in being able to use... I, I can't complain, I've got lots of digital support there. I've got lots of colleagues who are working very collaboratively at the uni on digital technologies for me. I'm just not always getting the time to be able to engage with that um, mm -hmm. because you're firefighting other you know, things. Um, but yeah, in terms of career long learning, I'm always very honest about, <clears throat> I don't know that either, or I know a bit about that, Let's go and find out more, you know, and getting back to the PE, you know, things that I touched on in my practical sessions around BMT, you know, to then take a group of students to the SAP PE conference and actually go and attend workshops with Andy DL in BMT with them and say, you know, this is the stuff we were talking about in some of those videos we looked at from Education Scotland. Now let's go and join, the, and join in this workshop together or, you know, go and 
to some of Cameron Stewart's workshops together and relating that back to what we did in the workshops, you know, I, I just think it's so important that teachers know that you're going to be learning for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Carol Ann put it quite nicely the other day there, I mean, you were speaking about Carol earlier, she, mm -hmm. she said it's important to have that beginner's mindset and, mm -hmm. and that's her kind of lasting impression um, when she was speaking the other day, so I think mm -hmm. that's really important in terms of yeah. professional learning, having that beginner's mm -hmm. mindset, you've never got it all yeah. worked out. Mm -hmm. I know, and, and I, I will go to Karen and I'll say, explain that to me again about sport education. <laughs> we used to walk to, the first year that I was there, I shadowed her at our um, practical sessions, but also at our class-based sessions for sport education. But even as we would be walking to the class, I would be saying to her, so explain that bit again, how does that work? And, um, yeah. you know, and, and you, I don't, I think you need to be really honest. I, I, I don't see the point in, bluffing and saying that you know something that you don't yeah. the the crime would be not to want to learn more yeah so for, for looking at that kind of honesty and caught in a honesty and what's the word i'm looking for collaboration mm -hmm. and importance of the two of them if we look at the kind of third one uh, confidence and, and mm -hmm. more importantly building teacher confidence so for anyone listening any teacher across across the country how would you suggest that they could transition back to school a little bit more smoothly for when they go back? Gosh, <clears throat> that's a million dollar question, that one. I mean, I see today there's going to be yet another announcement at lunchtime from the Scottish Government about the transition back to school. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's so much uncertainty and I always pride myself on being a, a glass half full type of girl. Um, I think the last few months have been really exhausting for teachers, really exhausting. I don't want to be a negative Nelly, but I think um, they've been quite sort of thumped by the general public. I think there's been a sort of notion that because the children aren't in school, the teachers are mm -hmm. off on holiday. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, and I think the uncertainty, certainly even at the university, of us not knowing what the summer's, you know, after the summer's going to look like, has really played on people. Um, I, I just, the first thing I would say in terms of transition is, do you know what, really enjoy these last two weeks of your holidays. Make the most of those, definitely. I think if people are constantly trying to plan for getting back, they're going to return as exhausted as they left. Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems that we have as teachers is we like to be really well planned um, and we like to be really well organized. And perhaps for once, we're going to need to go back with a much more flexible approach to if things need to change, it's not a disaster. Um, and I've had to learn that myself. You know, our plans for PE going back in August and September have been written, rewritten, ripped up, set in fire, started again. <laughs> um, and at first, I was finding that really frustrating. And I think you almost need to get to a place where you just need to return and transition back to school knowing it's not going to be the same as we left it. Not initially anyway, yeah. but perhaps we just need to be as flexible and adaptable as possible and understand that things will change and they will need to be adapted um, to meet ever-changing guidelines and that we perhaps shouldn't get too stressed about that. I also think that leaders within schools uh, and I acknowledge that 
it's always dead easy to bash the senior leadership team in the school, but they've got other people putting pressures on them to meet demands as well. So, you know, perhaps everybody needs to think, we need to think really carefully, what are our short or medium and long-term goals? Because we can't do it all immediately when we get back. I think it's going to be about building relationships. You know, we keep talking about that, but um, we are definitely going to need to focus building relationships with the children again, who we've not seen for a long time. Also building relationships with our staff. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to be really kind to each other. We're going to have newly qualified teachers who are apprehensive, who missed out in parts of their placement. We're going to have probationers coming back now as, you know, into their second year, who missed part of their probation, who are, in, who are anxious about that. You know, we all have that Sunday night fear when we go back after the summer holidays. You know, we're going to ramp that up times a thousand. So I think we all need to be really mindful that everybody's experienced the last five months in different ways. Some of us have loved lockdown. Some of us have hated it. Um, some people are quite germophobic. Some, pe some people are quite blasé about, I don't care if I get it. Um, but we need to just be very mindful that every, it's played huge mind games with everybody and we need to all be there to support each other. Um, yeah, Lewis and I were talking the other day about how important it is for that collaboration. Um, and it's obviously an, it's, it's an organic environment that we're going to be going into and everything's changing all the time. Mm -hmm. And we were on a, a webinar, I remember, Lewis, recently about the, the challenges that we face going back and how some of the challenges we won't know until we're actually back. So yeah. what's the point in worrying about it? There's a lot uh -huh. of blind spots. There's a lot of blind spots. We don't know what it's going to look like. So we uh -huh. just need to go day by day. Yeah. I mean, the Scottish primary teachers have their own Facebook site and our Facebook page rather. And you know, those the initial ten days after school broke up, the almost like the art not arguments, but the debates that were raging around return to school. You know, eventually the admin of the page were saying, let's let's call it a day, let's just enjoy our holiday. And you know, if ever there's been a time to live in the moment, it's just mm -hmm. now, right? So we're on holiday just now. I, I, I've, I've made a conscious effort to get back out and socialize with friends just now, to tr try and make this feel like a summer holiday rather than just a, a four week period of time planning for something that we don't know about anyway. But but to look in the positives as well, I think we need to remember we you know resilience is a big buzzword in school as well. If anybody had told us in January what we as adults would go through, but also what children would go through and, and the changes to our life, none of us would have thought it was possible. Absolutely none of us. And and yet the vast majority of people have coped with this fairly well. Um, and, you know, so probably we need, we need to realise we've coped with this. Whatever's coming next, we can cope with as well. We just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, you said it really well. Um, I don't think it can get any worse than what it's been. So mm -hmm. lastly then, we're, we're really interested to know, because of your, experience, your wealth of experience across the years in primary and, and uh, higher education, <laughs> in your opinion, Evelyn, from working with teachers across the years, what mm -hmm. makes a high quality teacher? Oh, well, what do you think? I think, first of all, you've got to really like people, okay? Um, 
you know, the one that I always say to the students is if you go on a night out with people who are not teachers, people say to you, oh, what do you do? And you say, I'm a teacher. And they go, oh, you must really love children. As, as though they're like a flavour of crisps, you know, <laughs> you know, do they love salt and vinegar? No, <laughs> I actually, I love people. And children are just smaller people. Um, so I think, you, and, and also what I always stress to the students as well is, it's not just a job where you work with children because you work with so many adults as well and, and, and you've got to be able to navigate that and you work with families and you work with social workers and you work with educational psychologists and you work with colleagues in other schools. So you need to genuinely, really genuinely like people. Um, I also think you need to be somebody who's quite honest in your own abilities. So you need to reflect regularly on what, you, what you've done, what you're planning, does it work? Does it need to be changed? And, and if it does, then you need to do that. Um, so, so you need to be constantly thinking about how can I do this better? Um, and then I also think that you need to be somebody who can listen and learn. And that's learn from your colleagues, learn, learn from any CLPL you choose to engage in, you know, to learn from that but you actually also need to learn from your children as well. You know, le learn from the pupils that you work with. Um, so yeah, but I would say for me, the, the best teachers are the people who have really good people skills. And that's whether it's with a three-year-old or it's with the person, the oldest person in your staff room. You've got to be able to work with people and really care about people. Yeah, I think you said it nicely, that ability to interact with people, um, being honest with your abilities and learning. Oh, and there's one other. What's the one? There's a fourth. Energy, energy and enthusiasm. I, you know the, the old radiators and drains? You're either a radiator and you radiate warmth, or you're a drain mm. and you suck the energy out of the room. Yeah. I hang out with the radiators all the time. I like people that are energetic and enthusiastic. A lot of the tutors at the uni, we have like our own wee hashtags. And mine is always, when I send them out of the lecture, mine is always hashtag on your toes. You know, I, I don't like slothing. I like people that are, right, let's go, you know. <laughs> yeah, same. It's, it's amazing when you walk into a department, you, you just get that, you can feel the energy straight away, can't you? If it's, mm -hmm. and it's either zapping it or it's either energising you. So that's really important to be aware of that. Right, Evelyn, so each week when we finish off our podcast, we finish with a quick fire round of three questions. So just oh. three quick questions for you mm -hmm. now. So number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown or anywhere in a community that you've worked, what would it say on it? Easy. And it, it picks up on my hashtag on your toes and the energy and enthusiasm. My big billboard would say, keep your heart warm and your standards high. Love it. Well, and that'd be quite good to see that at the start of the West Island Way the next time we do it if that's in Mulgarry when we come there <laughs> I'll take a big up. sheet and I'll and put it up for you sunshine first though <laughs> <laughs> right number two which book or books have had the greatest influence on your life or do you have a favourite book my all time favourite book you boys have probably seen the movie but like most movies it's a very poor imitation of the book the book The Lovely Bones Mm -hmm. by Alice Siebold. Nervous. You know, oh, right, read the book no. first then. Read the book. Take an over. 
The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold, and it's the story of a young girl who's very brutally murdered. Um, but then you have the story told by her from her perspective of heaven. Um, and she's watching her family. The story's the story of how a family would unravel after such a tra tragedy. Now, that might sound like a really morbid book, and it, it is quite dark. The movie, as I say, is a very poor imitation. Um, but I read it when it first came out 18 years ago, and I was on a campsite holiday in Italy. And it was such an emotional book that I had to cycle back from the beach with a towel over my head because I was so distraught. I was like E.T. on a bike, you know, with a towel over my head to go back to the caravan on my own to sob my heart out. Um, and there's, there's two sort of themes. Um, I'm an only child, but I've got two girls. And my mother was an only child as well. So I'm always fascinated by the relationship between my two girls, you know, who are like, they're absolutely like chalk and cheese. They can go, when they both lived at home, they could go up the stairs having the most awful fight that I would be sitting crying about. But by the time I shouted them down for their dinner, they would be the best of pals again. And I've just always been fascinated by that sort of depth of relationship where they understand each other so intuitively and they can love and hate each other within the space of 10 minutes. Um, and that theme is explored in the book because obviously one girl has died and she's watching her sister live her life and she's still genuinely, there's no envy, she wants a good life for her sister and I just think there's a purity and a beauty in that love that as somebody who doesn't have a sibling, I don't, you know, I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is the final line of the book is, I hope, it, I wish you all a long and happy life is the final line of the book, which was the one that just killed me and ended me, ended me with a towel over my head on the bike to cycle back to the caravan. And I'd have been in my mid thirties when I read the book. And I just thought, imagine when you've lost your life at that age, wishing everybody else a long and happy life. Um, it was just so touching. But also the older I get, it really makes me think, you know, I've, I've lost my best friend from primary school in the, you know, just before lockdown. And I think none of us know what lies ahead of us. Make every single day count because not everybody gets a long and happy life. Some people do, some don't. And nobody knows what lies ahead, so make the most yeah. of every day you've got. That's really inspiring. <laughs> but I think, I think that's the reason. I think that's our day, our day plan. Go and get a game of balls and then watch the uh, lovely bones later. <laughs> <laughs> no, read the book first. Yeah, read the, the book The problem with the movie is it has a stupid ending. The, the, the movie has a stupid... And if you read the book first and then watch the movie, you'll realise what I mean. There's parts right. of the movie are beautiful, but... They went for an ending to draw the crowds in. The book, the book allows you to use your imagination as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right, Evelyn, final question then in the quickfire round. What mm -hmm. advice would you give to a student teacher about to enter the working world or what advice should they ignore? Oh, right. The ignore one's easy, but I'll come to that second. Um, advice entering the working world. First thing I'd say, expect to work hard. Um, a bit of advice I wish I'd given myself 35 years ago. Everybody thinks 
passing my BA, passing my PGDE, that's going to be really hard. If I get through this year, that'll be, you know, the hardest work done. Then as they begin to approach the probation, it's like, I know the probation year is going to be really hard, but once I get that done, it'll be easier. Um, and actually, do you know what? Just expect to work really hard for the next however many years you're going to be a teacher because, yeah, passing the courses are hard, passing your probation is hard, but then you begin to, you know, I want to get better at this job and that's hard. And then I want to maintain my standards and that means you need to work hard. And then I want to, you know, remain relevant and that means you need to work hard. And then I want to be a good role model and a good leader of other teachers and that means you need to work hard. And so it's all really hard. And I would just say, do you know what? Embrace that because it's hard, because it's a really important job. And so be proud that you're doing a really important job. Yeah. You're not just doing any old job. Um, and the other thing I would just say is, you know, just do it with all your, do it with all your mind. So read and learn and collaborate and engage, but do it with all your heart and soul as well, because it's, it's about building relationships. It's about, you know, having, particularly as a primary teacher, but certainly for the secondary as well, you know, your wee team. My, my, my class were always my team. They were my gang. Um, and, you know, they knew that I really cared about them and I did it with all my heart and soul as well. And if you do that, they'll cut you a bit of slack. You know, I wasn't always perfect. There were days I got it wrong. There were days I didn't have enough patience or I was grumpy. But if you really care about your kids, they acknowledge those days. And the next day, they a bit like we wipe the slate clean and give them a fresh start, they give you a fresh start as well. So do it with a lot of care. Um, in terms of what to ignore, um, easy. That one about don't smile before Christmas. Yeah. You know, I don't know if anybody ever told yeah. you that. Like, it's blooming impossible. You know, no. schools are just really funny places. Uh, kids are so funny. And, but, you know, laugh, laugh with your colleagues, laugh with the kids, laugh, with, laugh at yourself. Um, but, you know, any notion that you can not smile until Christmas or not laugh until Christmas, I, I've just always found um, humour to be this, one of the best tools I had in my toolkit for the day. Um, and some of the things that I've learned about me as a teacher came from humorous situations, you know. So the idea that you could possibly do that job and not smile till Christmas is just unbelievable. It's quite, and, it's quite counterintuitive as well when you're trying to build uh, relationships. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that, I would finish on, um, I'm finishing a funny note then on that. Um, you know, in terms of using humour, I, I once had a P7 class who had me on my knees a lot of the time, you know, I, the, and we began the year and I'd had to do an awful lot of work with them around um, behaviour and responsibility and, you know, every... Every day would involve what Paul Dix would now call wonderful walking, you know. So every time we went somewhere, <clears throat> I would be encouraging, we're going to be the best class. We, we are better than everybody else. You are better than everybody else. Let's, let's walk really well around the school. Every break time ended with a restorative conversation with some individuals around, um, you know, 
what they'd been doing, the impact on others, how they would modify that behaviour next time and so on. And one of our recurrent phrases was, we're better than that. We're better than that. You know, and just trying to build their self-esteem and be part of our gang. So probably about six months into the school year, it was probably February, and again, it involves a sporting moment. We were going to an athletics festival at the Kelvin Hall that um, the Active Schools Coordinator had organised for the cluster. And the books, we get, the buses, we get free buses, you know. Um, and that's always a big thing in primary, that you've got a free bus to take you somewhere. But the deal was that the bus was coming to collect my kids, and then we were going to pick up another school. So before we left, I'd been given the pep talk again about, you know, high expectations and the standards that were expected, and we're better than that. And, you know, we've worked so hard this year to raise our own profile within the school and so on. We get on the bus, we get to the other school, I'm thinking this is going well, everybody's got their seatbelt on, they're all doing really well. And I look out the window and I think very quickly, they're not all going to fit in this bus. Oh, this is tricky. So I get up and take my seatbelt off, I go down to the bottom of the bus, I meet the teacher and I say, I don't think you're all going to get on here, I think there's been a mistake, the bus isn't big enough. No, no, we're going to get on, it's all fine, we will get on. So I think, well, fair do, try missus, but it's not going to happen. So I retreat and I sit down and she tries to get the people on the bus and no, they're not going to get on the bus. So I get up out my seat again and I go back down and, um, you know, I say to her, I I've got the active schools coordinator's phone number. Do you want me to phone and see if there's maybe a second bus? And she snaps at me. No, no, I I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking... So I retreat back down the bus and by that point my natives are getting a wee bit restless and they're beginning to write their names in the window and the steam and all that, you know, and I'm like, stop, 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 we're better than that. So after a wee while I got up again, it's clear there's about 10 kids out in the pavement, there's a classroom assistant, I've got a classroom assistant and I go back down the bus and I say again, do you know, if you want, if you want to get back off with your classroom assistant and your other children I'll say I said you know you can get off the bus and I'll take responsibility for your children with my classroom assistant and you get two seven-seater taxis and she snapped at me again and I hears this voice say miss and I went back up the bus and he said you've tried to help that woman three times and she's been pure ignorant sit down we're better than that <laughs> so anybody who thinks that you can get to Christmas and not laugh, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. So ignore that advice. That's brilliant. I'm so glad you managed to get that in there. <laughs> right, Evelyn, that, that um, ends the podcast on a, a very positive note. Thanks very much for coming on today to share your experiences. And I've certainly taken a lot from that. It was just great to, to listen to your stories and everything that you've had to share with us today. So thanks very much. Yeah, I think I'm going, I think I'm going to add it on to my GTC profile with CLPL. That was brilliant. So inspiring. <laughs> thanks very much. Sure Thank you, guys. Them. That was sure my first ever podcast. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well done. Done real well. <laughs> right. It was lovely to meet you. you I appreciate your time. And make sure you enjoy the rest of your holidays. Take your... Yeah. Do good things.
As always, each week on the podcast, we have our two takeaway messages from the hosts. So, Clark, we'll start with you. What was your takeaway message from today's episode with Evelyn Hart? I think Evelyn spoke really well about her experience in primary, PE teaching, and obviously just as a primary teacher as well. I thought she was really interesting and really had me a few times in the podcast, and I feel as if I've taken a lot from it. Not just my not just my key takeaway message, which I'm going to speak about very very shortly. I really liked how she she gave the advice to the the student teachers when she spoke about how, how important it is to work with people, and you need to you need to make sure that it's not just the kids you're working with, it's colleagues, it's families, it's head teachers, you know. So it's not just children that you're working with. It's a wide range of people, and you need to make sure that you're you've got the people skills to interact. So that the benefit, the benefit um, ultimately is for is for the young people that you work with. But my key takeaway message would be her example of the community sports hub that she created in the primary school, where she would have a certain targeted group of primary kids coming up on a Monday night to the athletics club. Um, I thought that was a really good idea to get the primary kids to meet before they come to high school. And I'm sure there were, I'm sure from what she was saying, there were, there's a few high school students that attended as well. And the, the running club that they went to, the local bowling club, she spoke really highly of the local bowling club and the skills that they could develop through bowling. It's not really something you would, that, I, that I would think about, so it's really thinking outside the box. And um, I linked with the local church as well, which was then linked into the food bank that, that they created. For the, for the families as well in the community. So there are a lot of good examples of work that we can be doing in the communities. So that's something I'll take back to my school and my own planning and my own thinking for when we return to school to try and create that partnership, that meaningful partnership between the schools and the communities. So Lewis, what would your key takeaway message be? Because I know you really enjoyed that podcast just as much as myself. Yeah, I could have sat there and listened to, to Evelyn all day. I thought our experience and our stories were just absolutely second to none. Um, I also like what you said about the community links and I thought it was interesting to see how important sport has or how important the role of sport and PE is in creating those successful links because she spoke a lot about that um, with the, the projects that she's been involved in. Sport and PE was a massive part of it. So I think that shows how powerful it can be to, to bring people together and make those transitions a bit smoother when the, the pupils transition from primary school to high school. Um, and to develop relationships with your, with your well, I think it's, it's like what Nelson Mandela said, doesn't it? Like sport is a power to change the world. Yeah. And if you look at if you look at the impact it's had in our lives as well. Mm. You know, it's definitely it's a big part of our days and how we our well being and our social connection as well. So it is really important. But my key takeaway message from today's um, episode, I liked how Evelyn mentioned at the end about the advice that she would give to to students about to enter the working world because I feel I was guilty of this as well. Just be prepared to work hard in general. Um, you're not the finished product once you've got your PGD or your, your degree out of the way and then, then you're working towards your, your probation year. Then once you get that out of the way, you'll be fine. But it's not the case. It's cons- Everything's changing all the time. You're working with different pupils every year, um, different mixes. Like You just need to keep on top of it. Um, to, to be your best and that would be my key takeaway message just get involved in as much as you can have a wee reflection see where you could improve and go and do the work and improve it 
So whose house are we watching the lovely bones up? Chip and dip? What, what kind do I buy? <laughs> cool original, sour cream and onion dip. Hello. Sounds oh. good. Well, remember everyone said that we might need a towel. Right, we hope this helps the next generation of teachers, certainly helping ourselves, So, and we also hope it helps current teachers across the country as well. As always, if you see it on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, we would appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet, as this helps us get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. Until the next time, we hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care.